You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. Tonight, we're talking about the sci-fi film, Arrival. Our dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. The middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war. No great depression. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian. With me tonight, Mr. Jeremy Benson. Hello. You ready to talk some sci-fi here, man? Sure. Uh, well, you know, before we get into sci-fi, uh, man, did you want to you want to go through some uh, trailers that got released? And you know, the only one I've seen is uh, Transformers. I actually really liked it. <laughs> I, I like those Transformers movies. I know everybody hates them. Everyone hates those movies. I wasn't a big fan of one or two, but. The last two I kind of got into. See, I'm a big fan of the odd ones. Like, one and three, I really enjoyed. Uh, two was surprisingly terrible. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, I left the theater on three feeling like my IQ dropped. <laughs> Just from watching the film. like. Yeah, the third one has got some huge plot holes in it. But, you know, I mean, they're real pretty. Oh, they look amazing. Don't make a lot of sense in the story department at all whatsoever, but... Uh, but three, like, I got into the whole, like, dark side of the moon and the whole mission to the moon and to find out in the 18 seconds of silence and or 18 minutes of silence and all that. Like, I got into all that. I don't know what happens in two. Like, I've seen it three or four times now just because I have kids and you have to watch those. I don't, I still can't tell you what happens at the end of part two. Uh, Optimus Prime comes back and kills all the bad guys? I mean that's that's the basis of it. Um, but there's like a spirit world that that robots robots have a spirit world. Yeah, I know it's they're silly. They are totally silly. I, Shia LaBeouf goes a robot <laughs> heaven, and I don't understand it like that completely. It's and a matrix the, of leadership, dude. And then there's the robot with the big balls and. Oh, that is bad. You know, that is one thing I do kind of dislike about Michael Bay. Michael Bay has a terrible sense of humor. His sense of humor is that of, like, a, a three-year-old. I, I don't think he has a terrible sense of humor. I think he has an unrefined sense of humor. But I laugh at distasteful stuff a lot, but I just don't laugh at his jokes. They're just... I, I don't know. Maybe they're ill-timed. Maybe the timing's off in them. No, I just think they're they're aimed for, for a ten-year-old. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, is, like, he'll put those... That same humor is, like, in Bad Boys too. You know, or you have, like, Will Smith saying something about, you know, shooting, like, the KKK members in the beginning. And it's just like, uh, it's not really funny. That was a bad example, because the Bad Boy movies, those are actually probably the funniest of his films. But that's because you have Will Smith as a star, and he can carry 
that comedic timing, him and Martin Lawrence. Shia LaBeouf talking to robots, not, not so much. Well, it seems like there was a funny part in Transformers One. Well, the parents were kind of the yeah, parents were kind of funny. The parents are funny. I mean, they're they're funny. I, I'll give you that. That's true. I mean, I don't go to a Michael Bay movie expecting anything <laughs> other than some pretty action. So when you know in Transformers Three, when there was a kind of that intriguing secret mission to the moon, the real story behind it, and I thought that was cool how they had Nixon and. I mean, you can say whatever you want about Michael Bay. Um, love him, hate him, whatever. The man knows how to shoot gorgeous, gorgeous footage. I don't. I don't really Beautiful understand explosions. the the Bay hate. Like it's not. It's not as if he's pretentious and like he's acting like he's making these masterpieces and people are unappreciated. <laughs> like, he knows what know, he's right? making. Like guys, he's making Transformers. It's I mean, based it's off not, an eighties cartoon. Two robots. He's not. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you either, man. It's just like, it, it is what it is. He ma- he makes fun action movies, and you know what? They're they look good. They look good, and man, some of them are pretty damn fucking entertaining. I love The Rock. I, yeah, I love that movie. I think that movie's fantastic. Um, is it gonna win an Oscar? No, but it's a real fun, good action movie. But um, I don't, I don't really think Bay's out to win an Oscar. No, I think he's just maybe out to with make... thirteen hours. I didn't see it, but. That, I don't, that I don't may have was... been his attempt there, but I don't think so. That's just... that's the best he's got right there. He's just like, yeah, the guy from the office is in an army uniform. I, I, I think, I think, I think he just likes blowing shit up, man. I, well, he likes working with the toys too. I, that's one thing I do like about Michael Bay. Like, you know, you're going to get something visually unique that you haven't seen before in one of his films. Like, he's going to put the camera. To varying degrees of success, he's going to put it somewhere that it's not been put before. You're going to see a different angle on something. Uh, like in Transformers 3, I love that uh, when they did the kind of 3D GoPro footage of the guys jumping out of the back of the the airplane. I mean, I, I thought that was great. You know, it, that large-scale destruction, he shoots that stuff so good. I know everybody's going to get tired of cities collapsing. I'm kind of getting tired of that, too. That was kind of his thing with Transformers. That was like one of the one of the first blockbuster movies. The in battle is at the middle of the town, and bystanders are in the way, and how that's kind of evolved throughout well, the Avengers movies. Honestly, and, I don't see how you do a big, you know, like the world's in crisis movie that you, you don't destroy a city. Like you know, the Decepticons are invading the planet. We're gonna go fight in the Everglades. Doesn't really make sense. It, there's no real threat there. I don't know. I you know I did. Did you see Doctor Strange? No. I did like how they tackled that problem. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, Scott Der- Derrickson did some really. I like him. Yeah, he did some creative things, man, with that. But uh, Transformers: The Last Night. You gonna go see it? Yeah, I'm gonna go see it. <laughs> uh, you know, it was. I think the whole movie was almost shot in IMAX with IMAX cameras too. Oh, really? Yeah. So I may have to take a trip. I thought Michael Bay was all digital only. Michael Bay just wants whatever the new toy is. <laughs> That's what I think. But he, he did get, uh, I think they, they actually made like a 3D camera rig, an IMAX camera rig, where you can take it and actually move the camera because those 3D IMAX cameras are ju- they're just so huge. Like you have to have a van to move the camera around almost. I'd have to, I'd have to look that up to see if he shot that on film. Yeah, unless it was a, a digital IMAX camera. Uh, I thought it was an interesting trailer. Um, I, I guess that's Galvatron. Oh man, I I have no idea. Optimus Prime turns to the dark side. 
Oh, now, see, I thought that was pretty cool. Optimus Prime attacking Bumblebee. Yeah. A little, you know, that's that's interesting. That that does does pique my curiosity. Uh, the, the whole thing with the planet, like Earth colliding with another half-broken planet. I don't know. It looked really bizarre in the trailer. Like, the planet looked like it had already, like, been destroyed. Laws of physics out the window. <laughs> Well, they they did that in the third one, weren't they? Trying to bring bring uh, mega, I don't know. They were trying to bring their Cybertron, Cybertron yeah, their world. What are you gonna do? It's the Decepticons are up to some shit. Optimus Prime's gonna stop them. Yeah, and there's gonna be some hot chick with some oil on her skin, <laughs> backlit, bending over. You know, I, I that's one thing I always liked about Michael Bay. He's he's not afraid of his sexist behavior. <laughs> He's like, girl, look, I want you to walk up the stairs, and I'm going to put this camera right up your ass. You never have to worry about subtlety. Yeah. I, you know, the thing I like most about going to see a Michael Bay movie in the theater, though, is when you get out, and you get assaulted by the bright sunlight, and how quiet everything is. See, I hate that. I have to go see Michael Bay movies at night, because... When I come out and it's quiet, there's too much time to start reflecting over the plot that I just watched, and then I end up with a headache trying to make it make sense, and I just go at night so you can just go home and go, that was cool, like, this thing, this robot moved, and... This robot just destroyed some stuff. It was great! Dinosaurs. I don't know why there were dinosaurs, they were just dinosaurs. Because they came when dinosaurs were there, and they're like, well, they're, they're not automobiles, so we're gonna, we're gonna be metal dinosaurs. You, you other dinosaurs are... We're not going to notice at all. We're going we're to blend. And they just so happen to be slightly stupid. I just hope he introduces Rodimus Prime at some point. Rodimus Prime? Oh, come on. You don't know the cartoon from the 80s? Uh, not that well. I mean, I saw okay. it when I was a little kid, man. <clears throat> in the movie The Transformers. The oh, cartoon, I haven't seen that in forever. Optimus Prime dies at the end. Yeah, I know that. And Hot Rod, the little orange car gets the Matrix of Leadership or Crystal or whatever it's called in the movie put into yeah. his chest, and he turns into a Prime. So he takes over the Transformers as Rodimus Prime. But I think it would be cool to see that in the movie. Like, Optimus turns bad, and they're like, we need a new leader. Give it to Hot Rod. I mean, come on, you'd give it to Bumblebee, though, in this movie series, right? I mean, I don't even know any of the other... Transformers in the films. Yeah, they've killed all the other ones off. Yeah, I, I, like Optimus and Bumblebee are the only two I even know. You know, I feel like we purposely talked about Transformers Five, the trailer on the episode where we're talking about good sci-fi. So everybody that clicked on the episode to hear about the arrival, and they're like, "Oh man, I'm, re- I'm here from some deep discussion," and we're just talking about Michael Bay and <laughs> Transformers in the beginning of it. Sadly, at the end of the day, more people will see Transformers 5, and it will probably have more fans. I, it, it does seem like the Transformer movies are actually starting... They're starting... The audience is starting to, to go away a little bit. Yeah, they, they kind of peaked with the second one, and the box office domestically has been steadily tapering off, where the the fourth movie, I think, barely made over $200 million. Did not hit that three hundred million benchmark that all the others had hit, but you know it doesn't really matter because the foreign box office now. You look at the first one came out in two thousand seven. The foreign box office only counted for like maybe half of the whole gross. Mm-hmm. I mean, over eight hundred million dollars came from the foreign market for Transformers Four. 
So yeah, it made a billion dollars. Blow some stuff up, make sure it looks good. Doesn't matter what they say because it's going to be dubbed into Chinese anyway. <laughs> yep, and make sure at least one scene takes place in China. And you have one actor that's going to be in the movie for like maybe five minutes. So that's now, a huge China with, stuff. With that out in the open, let's talk about a sci fi movie that revolves around language and understanding each other and our perception of time. And how this evil Chinese man. What? No, he he was all right, man. Well, you find out later he's all right, but at the beginning he's stubborn and he's going to go to war with these aliens and No, man, he just needed to get a he just needed a good reminding of what his dead wife said. He was confused, he was conflicted. He didn't And those Russians. Man, are communists still are are communists always going to be the bad guys? <laughs> yes, communists are bad guys. They're all but <clears throat> are they are they always going to be the bad guys? Yes. In, in... <laughs> Communists are bad guys. Damn it. You were raised in the 80s. You know this. I know. It's just, I would like some variety in my villains. That's all. That's all. You know, I'm, I'm getting tired of, of Russia and, and China just, just being the, the dumping grounds here for villainry. You know, let's spice it up here a little bit. Let's have some, like, rogue Frenchmen. The French can't be bad guys. They're the lazy guys. They're lovers, not fighters. Oui, oui, madame. Um, okay, so we are here to talk about uh, Arrival. Arrival. Great. Jinx, you owe me a coat. Uh, what? No way. Uh, all right, so we're going to take a break. We're going to play the trailer, and we'll be back to talk about Arrival. There are days that define your story beyond your life. Like the day they arrived. Objects measure at least. I'm Colonel GT Weber from Army Intelligence. Pack your bags. You're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. Priority one. What do they want? Where are they from? You'll be reporting to me, but you'll be working with him when you're in the show. That's what they call him, the UFO. Who's being carted off in the medevac? Not everyone is wired for what you're about to do. So what do they look like? You'll see soon enough. Every 18 hours, a door opens up. That's where we go in. It's time. Yeah, that just happened. What happens now? They arrive. They need to see me. Dr. Banks? Are you insane? Now that's a proper introduction. More objects have landed around the world. This is one of 12. I'm never going to be able to speak their words. Got two days. Figure something out. I am human. It's their language. We need to make sure that they understand the difference between a weapon and a tool. Language is messy, and sometimes one can be both. Are you dreaming in their language? It's possible they're prodding us to fight among ourselves. This is just a way to force us to work together for once. It's more complicated than that. How is it more complicated? Russia just executed one of their own to keep their secret. Got 21 hours before they start global war. So how do we clarify their intentions? I go back in. All right, we're back. 
That was a trailer for Arrival, starring Jeremy Renner. Amy Adams, Forrest Whitaker, directed by Denis Villeneuve. Hope we're pronouncing that right. It's it's French. What are you going to do? Uh, although he's not French, he's Canadian. So French Canadian. <laughs> true, true. Man, I will say the marketing for this film. I loved the marketing. It got me excited for the movie, and when I went to go see the movie, I I felt like I hadn't seen the whole thing. I was actually surprised. I didn't see much of the marketing. I, I saw one trailer, and I knew I wanted to see the movie, so I was pretty pumped for it. I didn't I didn't really need to see much. Like the one trailer sold me on it. So did you see this director's uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, any of his other movies? He did uh, Prisoners, which I haven't seen that or Enemy, no. but uh, I did see Sicario. And I really liked that. I thought that was really well done. No, I haven't seen either one of them. But man, I thought this was his best movie. This was pretty good. I've been trying to to think about how to put it into words how good this film is. I kept thinking like, you know, best sci-fi since. And I I kept going back and back. I kept thinking about science fiction movies that I like is better than this movie. And the, the, the last one that I can think of that I even can compare is District 9. And I think I'd even have to go back further than that. Like, man, like, all the way back to the 80s. This was something really special. Yeah, I still like Interstellar better. Really? Yeah. The emotional weight in this film, and we're totally in spoilers. And if you haven't seen it, please go see the movie um, first, then come back and listen to the podcast because this is a, a, an emotional treat to say the least, you'll you want to experience this movie. The emotional uh, beats in this movie personally just connected better than Interstellar. And I think it was most of, most of this movie was simplified, and I was able to connect to it better because I wasn't thinking about all these crazy sci-fi ideas and all these outlandish theories, and I was really just able to be invested in what the movie was willing to show me the movie starts and you get the discovery of the aliens and you get that sense of wonder. And then as the movie progresses, the emotional core starts revealing itself and, and the flashbacks of her dead daughter. Well, let's get into that a little bit. The movie starts with, you know, a voiceover from Amy Adams talking to her daughter and it pretty much goes through her daughter's entire life from birth to when her daughter dies of some rare disease. Yeah, at a young age. Well, at a teenage. She's yeah, a teenager. She's like a teenager. And as an audience member, you go right into the movie assuming Amy Adams has lost her daughter. Which is brilliantly done. Yeah. Throughout the movie, you find out that she has not had the daughter yet. She starts having these visions of the daughter, and through learning the language of the aliens she she starts experiencing time out of sequence so she's seeing the future so you realize that she is learning that she's going to have this daughter and the daughter is going to die and the day that her future husband jeremy renner renner whatever his last name is renner asks her do you want to make a baby is the exact first shot of the movie where she says, I used to think this was the beginning of your story. It's yeah, it's kind of heavy. The twist in the film, the daughter, what you think you're seeing are flashbacks because you get flashbacks throughout the movie of her daughter, but they're really flash forwards. She's actually, yeah, it's really irritated because I've seen this movie twice and both times I left the theater there was somebody standing outside that had the complete wrong idea of what they just saw. What do you mean? 
first time I left the theater, there was a girl talking to, I guess, her date. And was, so I'm confused. So, like, she lost her daughter, and now she's going to have another daughter. And even though she lost her other daughter, she still thinks that, like, there's hope to have another one. And her boyfriend was like, yeah, that's what I got. And the second time, I took my wife to see it, and we were leaving. And there was a kid asking his dad pretty much the same scenario. So she had a daughter, and her daughter died, and now she's wanting to have another one with her new husband? Yeah, that's what's going on. Wow, they they really missed. And I thought they did a the I whole point they, of the film. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job of like <laughs> not over nailing it down, but really explaining that when she says, "Who is this girl?" But in their brain, they're so attached to that these are flashbacks. They're they're just un, they were unwilling to let let that go, so they just created two separate girls. The the girl from the beginning is the girl from the beginning, and this new girl is her other daughter. Even though they show the exact same foot, yes, <laughs> the exact same footage, the exact same actresses playing these the daughters at different ages. <sighs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, yeah, I my, took my eight year old son to it, and he understood. Yeah, my twelve year old got it. The twist, no problem. Her only problem was she didn't like how the aliens looked. I, you know, I can, I can get with that. I, when I first saw him. I was. She she's made fun of them quite a bit. They, if you haven't seen it, they they're sort of octopus type, but they literally like kind, of, yeah, kind of squids. They kind of look like hands. You do this, and you can even see like knuckle where the face is. And, yeah, you know, she, I was actually kind of worried that they were going to be like hands like, of an alien. Look, look, Dad, it's Abbott. It's Abbott. Look, there's Abbott's face. <laughs> And the more she does it, the more it's like, they do just look like hands. Like, I wonder if that's kind of how they did it. Well, I mean, it's a thing. Yeah. I mean, when you first see them, it is a little... Lackluster. Yeah. I mean, they're not... I like the idea of it's the It's not a squiddy... great design. It's very simple. I like the idea of the squiddy... Because, I don't know, it made me to where I could imagine this world where, you know, there is no land. and The evolution on this planet was all underwater. Well, I like the fact that they committed to it. Like, they didn't just give them a, a, a squid design. Even when they were in their own environment, they're in this weird, misty environment. Like, it's not water or liquid, but their motion and how they move is like how a squid or an octopus right. would move in the water. Like, even how they write is like squid ink. Right. The soundtrack even has those uh, really eerie, like, almost like whale or dolphin underwater sounds. Forty-five minutes into the movie, didn't give a fuck. Did not care what these aliens looked like. I was so into this movie, man. I didn't even care that the uh, alien spaceships, all twelve of them around the world, looked a little bit like the a curve-shaped, uh, you know, modern version of the monolith. You know, it it was kind of like when you saw the promotional material. I was a little. Yeah, that didn't bother me at all. I had never even actually never even thought about it. I was a little worried it was going to be. You know, they may go down a pretentious road. But man, I was surprised. I mean, you're talking about entertaining, entertainment meeting art in this film was oh, it was so impactful. I, I guess the big thing with the twist is not so much that you find out that the flashbacks are flash forwards. It was the emotional effect that that has on you, where it actually gets you in an emotional state. Answer that question at the end: Would you still have this child knowing that they're going to die? 
Because well, like the movie they... starts, you know that this kid has already di- died. You've already cried at that moment. And, dude, I cried in the first 10 minutes of this movie. Did you really? Yes, dude. I mean, well, I, full disclosure, uh, my second son um, was diagnosed with leukemia. So this movie... Yeah, I mean, it's going to affect you a little bit more than... Uh, yeah, I, I cried twice. Man. I cried at the end, man, it, for and, different and reasons. Full disclosure, full disclosure. I was talking to, talking to my wife. I took my wife to see it after I took my daughter to see it. You can see the priority in my family. Um, <laughs> um, and I asked her, I was like, which one did you like better, Interstellar or, or this? And she she agreed. She thought she liked Interstellar better. And I was like, man, you know, Brian likes this better. And she said, well... I can see how this would emotionally touch Brian more where on the other side Interstellar emotionally touched you because you went through that hole where you made the two movies and you weren't at home and you missed a lot of time with the kids and then there's the scene where he's missing a lot of time. Like, you can connect with that where Brian's connecting with this. Yeah, I just had a hard time connecting with the the father and the the, the father-daughter story. I had a hard time connecting with that. In that film, it just, I don't know, man. Is it got me. That, that connection that, that, just... That got me. But I like what Arrival does with... Because it doesn't just drop this bombshell that, oh, you're going to have this daughter that's going to die, and this, the whole time that we've been seeing this is the future. All right, more plot here. Um, <laughs> while she's studying the language... They're trying to learn how to communicate with the, the aliens. She's trying to learn to communicate with them. And she's making a lot of progress because she's the one that thinks of, like, trying to write. And so she's learning their alphabet. But there's 12 of these things, so there's other countries dealing with their own floating spaceships. Yeah. And China and Russia find something out and go off the grid. They're not going to share their information. Well, she figures out that, no, we all have to share our information. They're going to give each one of us a twelfth of the information. So we all have to share it to get all the the pieces of the puzzle. Once China goes off the grid, China's going to attack the aliens. So when she figures out that the daughter she's going to have, the emotional impact of the movie, the twist, isn't to tell you that her daughter is going to die. It's so that she can stop the army from leaving and then convince everybody else to not attack the aliens. The plot point is to save the world, but because of that, she's learning that, oh shit, this daughter of mine is going to... Yeah, I mean, it's it's really just like uh, her side. It's like her personal side story within this larger narrative. I, all that stuff with China and Russia, the book that this was based on, uh, the story of your life by Ted Chang. Uh, I, I, I read, I read the, I read the short story. This is all for the movie. I think it was, it's, it's something so that actually should have been in the short story. So the stuff with China is not in the short story. No, I mean the short story is very different. Like um, they don't actually meet the aliens at all. The aliens send down what they call looking glasses, and there's more than twelve of them. There's like hundreds all over the world communicate with them through this looking like an iPad, an alien iPad. Oh, okay. And the aliens look very similar and they have like the language, but they go into like the spoken language. Like that's why it's the heptapod B and heptapod um, A. Like A is the spoken, B is the written. Um, And then there's like different forms of written. It goes a little bit more into that. I was kind of hoping that you could shed some, the one part of the movie that's kind of a, 
The paradox. It's kind of a paradox. It's it's cool while you're watching it. Like as a fan of these kinds of movies, I was totally sucked into the moment. But there's a moment in the movie where she she's trying to stop all the bad shit from happening. Yeah, she's got to convince China not to blow up the aliens. So then she starts seeing a future event where she's talking to the head Chinese general. And he tells her, you called me and made me stop. And she says, I, I called you. She she obviously has no memory of this. Because yeah. in her lifeline, it hasn't happened yet. Like I mean, it, they go out of the way to make sure that you know. Because he even brings up the phone. She's like, I don't have your number. And he shows her. Now you do. His number so that she would then remember. Like he obviously understands that he has to show her these things. He even mentions, I don't know how your brain works. So, like He's obviously in on this. It's either going on the idea that they're on separate paths. Well, the whole thing idea is that she's not actually seeing the future. These are just memories. Right. You know, so these are memories of the future, like learning the heptapod language. And you now know you're bound. Your memories are, are free of time. And I also get <laughs> that it's it's a possible. Future. It's not a time machine. Oh, well, they go a little bit, and it's a little different in the novel. They go into that, that, like, the heptapods, because they can see everything, they're just going through acting out their lives. Because they can see everything currently, like, them acting is just them in the present state. Because they're also in the past and the future. But see, I got the hint that the director... But But that's in the novel, though. That's not the movie. The movie's very different. Well, I got the hint that the director was... Not blatantly, but saying at a certain point, she still has a little bit of a choice on how her future will go. Does she? I think so. She ends up choosing what she sees. Well, she chooses to to have the kid. I think he's driving home that she could have chosen not to. And it's where she's telling the kid that, you know, you're unstoppable. Nothing can stop you. Uh, your dad got mad at me because he thinks I made the wrong choice. After that, it shows him asking her, do you want to make a baby? And then it shows her making that choice and saying yes. Even though she sees the future, she knows how it's going to go. If she makes this choice, she's still making the choice. And I think that's kind of how it plays with the, the phone is he's, Telling her in this, in my lifeline, you did this. But she still has to choose to do it before it becomes real for her. I do think that's what the director was was going for. I agree with that. But, I mean, you know, that's the thing. You can read it any other way. Like, I mean, what if this is just the set of events that were going to happen regardless? If she was always going to learn this language at this time and always know that information... And she was always going to make that choice. You know what I mean? That's the fun thing about time travel, you know. And it, You think you have a choice. You know, but and interesting things to debate about and, and talk about. I mean, that's... It definitely made my awesome. daughter ask, if you knew I was going to die at 16, would you still have me? Oh, yeah. That's exactly what my kid asked, too, right? What did you tell him? Yeah, of course. Uh, see, I told her no. <laughs> What? Hell, hell yeah, to have you again. I Did, said, no, you've been expensive and hard to get along with. Vince is like, I, all, the, all that work for nothing? 
I was counting on you to support me as an old old man, and now if you're telling me if I knew that's not going to happen from the beginning, get real. Who is going to wipe my ass now? I did all that work, and no one to wipe my ass. Oh my goodness! But no, I mean that that was that was the question that you know I heard everybody talk immediately looking to their loved one. So, would you? All right. Favorite, <clears throat> your favorite sci-fi line of the movie. Not line, but scene. Favorite sci-fi scene of the movie. When they first go on the ship. That's I, badass, dude. They're going up into that tunnel, and they reach a certain point, point. the dude breaks the little green light. Oh, yes. And he throws it, and it goes up into that known gravity zone, and then hits the gravity zone, and then like falls against the wall. And Jeremy Renner goes, that just happened. One of the greatest sci-fi moments ever. Weird tilt down too, and it, it, it looks at the glow stick, and then it goes back down to them, and you can see the people in the back. They're still on the Earth. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you got a bird's eye view of them. Wait, what? What is going on? And here, I love guys? that next shot that's upside down to let yes. you know that they're walking this way. Uh, it's just. They do a good job playing with their perspectives in there. And I liked it too. Like later in the movie, you know, they just start shoot, shooting it like a normal scene and you kind of forget like the hallway and then they do the, uh, the explosion and they get blown out of the airlock and you remember like, Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> the ship is they're laying vertically or walking vertically in it. Yeah. They're walking well, yeah. vertically, horizontally the, walking. The fake up. gravel gravity is, what do you think of the really bomb cool. scene? Like that kind of came out of nowhere to me. Oh, really? I felt like they were building up to that uh, pretty, pretty hardcore. Well, I felt like they were building up to it, but I didn't actually expect like the soldiers to go rogue. And no, I didn't expect. Yeah, well, you told me they started busting out the machine guns and things. They're gonna kill like their fellow soldiers. I was like, that's that's a little hardcore. Like blowing up some aliens and, and you know and some is, asshole doctors. I kind of understand. There is no filmmaking technique, no storytelling technique better than the clicking clock. And I'm telling you, that entire theater was leaning forward, counting down. And then when Costello just goes and shoots him out, I do. I, I do like how uh, they they shoot those scenes, man. Um, so Costello knew they they go through. And he he knew that's that's where he was gonna start the death process. He took one for the team, dude. <laughs> I mean that that does suck, dude. You know, and those aliens were super cool afterwards. I did like how Forrest Whitaker and the army responded, like, uh, "We're getting ready for war. Uh, <laughs> we killed one. Who knows what could happen?" I did like that they were shitting their pants. My daughter just said, "Well, I don't understand why the aliens just don't give them the information sooner if they know that they're going to do the bomb just when they show up and go, oh, this is the lady, here's all the shit. Because, man, they, you know, they had to teach the stupid humans. They didn't understand well, Heptapod with, B. I just went with, you. well, you're looking at it from the human perspective of you don't live outside of time, so you still feel like you have a choice, but they who live outside of time feel like they don't have a choice. That this is just the natural set of way they their life goes. Yeah, that would so be true. So it's two opposing philosophies on life. One is that you can change your future. The human philosophy, where the heptapod philosophy is that you can't. You just go along. And that's why Abbott's just like, Costello's dying. He's in the death process. 
So none of that's in the in the short story. No, they don't blow up or anything like that. And the short story is and actually really vague too. Um, it's really just about learning the language and the effects that that causes. Like you don't understand why the aliens are there. And this one, it's very clear that like, look, we need you guys in three thousand years to save us. Hey, we have to educate you a little bit. <laughs> Here, guys, uh, start doing your homework. And in the in the in the novel, it's they just leave. We don't know if they're spectators. I love any of that. I love how in like in most sci-fi movies, like you know, you see the big atmospheric push as the ship's taking off. These ships just sort of vanish. It's like they're you know they're slipping back into a different dimension. Yeah, I, I did like that. It's not normal aliens. I, all the visuals in this movie, I found like even though some are reminiscent of other science fiction films, I thought the way they were pieced together and See, I don't it was I man, don't it just mind worked. there being reminiscence of I don't know, mind that either the, the soundtrack that big sound like as soon as my wife heard it she was like oh it's close encounters I'm like it's not close encounters but for her that was the sound from close encounters yeah I mean I can see that I've seen most people compare this uh close encounters contact I've seen those movies come up a lot it did cause me to go and uh pull contact up on Netflix. I was going to let my daughter see it since she saw this with me in the theater. But then she ended up getting sick, so I ended up watching Contact with my 7-year-old and my 9-year-old. Um the the whole communication, the language barrier, how one word means something to somebody. It means completely something completely different to somebody else. Weapon, tool. Uh, what and what do they do like what does war mean? Uh one's like uh the I forget what they say in the movie, but to like gather tribes and or start a fight, and the other one was to like get more cows. I don't know. I just liked how that played with the movie, especially in the climate that we have right now. Like after the election, left, right. I don't know. Maybe both both sides could watch a rival and maybe learn <laughs> something about communicating their ideas and their thoughts to each other. I tell you a scene that Amy Adams deserves an Oscar for. Yeah, you think she's going to get nominated? No. Uh, but I don't think so either. The scene when she's telling her daughter, the daughter asks, why did dad leave? And it's the whole you're unstoppable scene. I've mentioned it once before. Layers of emotion that she's playing in that scene. Because she knows this little girl's going to die one day. And she's basically telling the little girl that I told your dad you're going to die, and he left me because he thinks I made the wrong decision. But she's not saying that. Watching her eyes in that scene is... I don't know, man. The beginning end of this movie just fucking destroyed me, man. <laughs> I, I just... it They they really did. I, I just thought... Oh, I was crying so hard at that that I thought I was going to have to take her out of the theater. Yeah. And just the, the, the hope, that music at the end, in the beginning... What's that? What's that the, song that's like? Uh, Johan Johannesson. That's just one of his uh, tracks off of here. Oh, I think it's the second track off the CD. Uh, so I thought it was some pop song they found. Oh no! Well, I mean, I, I th- he's from Iceland, so you know they have. You know, those Scandinavian, I don't know what that is. It's not Yoda. It's a really cool soundtrack. I mean, oh, I haven't like, yeah. listened to the soundtrack, but in oh, the movie, it's pretty cool. Copy. One thing I really hate about the soundtrack, whoever put it out, 
put a giant yellow logo <laughs> on the front cover. And it's it's so it's so hideous. It's it's a beautiful picture. Well, that's the new thing, man. But it's it's giant all the, yellow all logo. The distributors just tack their shit right in the front of some artwork. I, I I feel sorry for the graphic designer. They probably like open this up and they're like, oh man, yeah, fuck, dude, look, oh, this looks amazing. Flip it around to the front, like, son of a bitch. I know the feeling. Oh, it's so terrible. It's it's hideous. I you know I I do I do like the poster. I like I like half the poster and the, and the rest of the promotionals for the arrival. You don't like that they put the actors' faces on I, the posters. No, I don't like that. And you know what? But that's that, they know, did it in a Marvel kind of way, right? That's the that's the traditional advertising is you put your big actors up and you're yeah, that's true. That's that's the thing nowadays. But I love all the posters with just the ships. Like they have a bunch, uh, like a bunch of teaser posters, like all over the world and they're different locations. <clears throat> I think those are well. Cool. I mean, let's face it. In modern advertising, the teaser posters are always the best. It kind—it's—it's of, it's turned that way. It used not to be that way. Well, those are always the concept posters, and then you get your main theatrical poster, and it's going to be just a bunch of people's faces. And yeah, I still like the Star Wars one sheets. Uh, man, that that Rogue One posters. I haven't seen the Rogue One poster. Dude, you should see it. It's 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 amazing. It's got a nice. It's got a nice little Death Star, Darth Vader images, superimposed. Is it in the traditional Star Wars? Hand-drawn look, yeah. Yeah. Well, now it's all digital art. You, you got to make your art for the for the iTunes window or the Netflix window. Man, I just like to have a physical something in my hand. I like to look at it. I like I like the texture. I want the smell. I, it, is that weird? No, I, I don't I, know. I, I just you know what I mean. I, I feel like a, that's a dead I, thing now. Well, it's it's our generations. I don't know. When I buy something and it's right, just it, on my phone, it doesn't feel real to me. And like uh, I can tell with just like my kids as opposed to me. My kids do not understand the concept of it's on television. Yeah, my kids don't get that either. It's it's to them it's Netflix and they can watch whenever they want to watch. Yeah. So, and late last two weeks, we, we've been doing the Dark Knight trilogy. So we watched Batman Begins, the Dark Knight, and we had a little trouble finding the Dark Knight. What the fuck is going on in your house? We eventually found it after I went and bought another copy. It was in a box in a, in a closet. But the kids were just dumbfounded. Well, why don't you just buy it online so you know where it's always at? Because I want the 10 collector copy but then you have to look for it and then you have to fight with the blu-ray player to get it to work just buy it and hit play i guess it is a generational thing but oddly they're they're on board with hard like having copies of books they don't like digital books they want they actually want physical copies of books buying books is a pain in the ass now dude i mean if you don't get it from amazon like you gotta go out of the way. <laughs> I mean, dude, going to Barnes and Noble like they there's selections now uh, around here. Not the greatest. <sighs> Borders they just went away. I don't know if that closed well, everywhere. You can, usually, just closed you, you can usually get a you know like a newer release, especially if it's a bigger release at Barnes and Noble. Yeah. But if you hear a, hear about a book that's like not a bestseller, or, you know, a huge release, sometimes it's kind of hard to find. You just go straight to Amazon. I mean, dude, I don't know if I would have been able to find the short story um, if this movie hadn't come out. 
Uh, the actual like Ted Chang's the co- the short story collection. Yeah, all I saw was you know the arrival hardback covers with the movie poster. If you, I mean, if you wanted to read that before, I mean, I don't think you, I don't think you'd get it at Barnes and Noble. I don't think they carry stuff like that. I mean, it's sort of like The Martian. I remember seeing The Martian on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. I had no idea what it was. And then the new shipment came in with soon to be a motion picture from. Like, yeah. Oh, and then, okay. Well, I mean, but that was a big book before, though. I mean, I don't think Ted Chang's uh, short story collection was. Was a was a New York no. Times bestseller, but no big well, deal. the movie was definitely good, and the the Pacing story of your life was good. Awesome, beautifully shot. Oh yeah, that shot of when the helicopter first comes in, you're following the helicopter. Oh my gosh! And you see the mountains and that like that just smoke <sighs> coming down. Oh my! I didn't know places like that like existed. Like that's one of the most beautiful shots on film ever. Yeah, Montana is gorgeous. Who knew Montana was gorgeous? Well, that's why all these rich people moved to Montana. <laughs> get a ra- I'm gonna. Get, I need to get a ranch in Montana. Damn it! But yeah, no. That and Mark that shot and I were is talking amazing. about that like just like a month ago. Like you hear all these like old rock guys that you know they're you know spent 20 years in rock and roll. Where do they live? On a ranch in Montana. Why Montana? Because it's fucking gorgeous. Yeah, you step outside and there's some hills, man, and some mists. It's just rolling off rocky mountains with ice on it's fucking just I mean, yeah it it no oh, that shot that one particular shot you're talking about though man where and it starts circling yeah. uh, circling the uh army base that is a really impressive shot that was like the first jaw drop moment the film was uh it was under 50 million budget wise uh you can see where they cut some costs the special effects are uh questionable in some spots and some it they're great um, no problem with them at all. Some of the mat work, mostly around the tank area. It did. It's not like a Marvel movie or well, actually, it was Marvel movies. <laughs> I take that back. Actually, it was it was probably on par with a Marvel movie. It, I mean, it's not like ILM top of the line or anything like that. But you know, for the budget, I thought they worked. And man, I I really did not mind any of the any of the effects. I have seen some complaints and. But man, the the story here is is really the highlight of the film. The story well, and the to acting. To me, this is not an, an effects extravaganza. It's the, not. The effects are there because you you need them. Yes, and I thought they did a good job of of shooting around certain scenes. You know, you can tell that they're smart with their camera, right. their camera angles, and again, stretching the dollar. Well, you know what? I enjoyed that we don't see mid budget adult movies anymore we don't see this kind of entertainment anymore it's either like no budget or 300 million dollars that, that's an inflated number but like 200 million dollars you know it's not that inflated <laughs> <laughs> but I, I i guess there's been some movies yeah they've cost well, wait and you find out how much they spent on transformers for <sighs> and marketing and all that stuff yeah i mean they're gonna spend more than that on some of these but just budget alone you know, it's nice to have a, a, a an adult fair middle movie that's telling a really, really good story. You know, it's a sci fi movie and it but it's not trying to go over the top so the kids like it. <laughs> it's 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 aimed towards people that want to go see that kind of movie. I don't know. I feel like a lot of mid budget uh fair stuff like this is you know, it's it's like usually directed by Clint Eastwood. You know, it's like <laughs> Sully or something like that. And it's like I don't mind that, but Come on, we can do other things with our mid-budget fare. Let's just get out of 
historical dramas or biopics or, you know, these Oscar bait movies that big actors take pay cuts so they can make. Well, I felt like I don't not I have no idea. I'm speaking completely on assumption here, but you can tell like some of these actor movies, like you could Oscar bait. Like these are these projects, these actors like, I think I'm gonna get an Oscar for this. Yeah. This felt more like the director just kinda had or the screenwriter, whoever spearheaded this, really just wanted to see this movie made. Yeah. Like this was more of a storyteller Absolutely. pet project. Yeah, I you know when when it was over, I was kind of like, I can't believe they actually made that movie, right? You know, because it really, I mean, outside of that one explosion, there's today no action in it. It's about talking. The people are sitting in a room talking to some aliens on the other side of the glass, and then they go back and they explain to the army what they talked about. And it is a you know what I will say I do feel comfortable saying this is going to have to make my top ten sci-fi. Of all time list, I mean, dude, I, I'm, I'm putting this up here with 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 Blade Runner and and 2001, and I mean, just the emo- the emotional impact and and all the layers, man. Just I, I don't know. This is what you do with sci-fi, right? You take that big grandiose idea, and at the heart, you're really saying something that we can all understand. That we can take something that's it's about the human spirit, that's about humanity. It's saying something. This movie said so much. You have your language barriers and the time element and how those two things go hand-to-hand and how the plot connects both of these ideas. It's speechless, dude. Really just brought, brought tears to my eyes. Yeah, it's pretty good. You think it'll be uh, nominated for Best Picture? No. I don't know, man. I'd give it to it, but... <laughs> I, I, you know, if they, if they do eight or nine, I think it's got a chance. Well, we haven't seen everything that's released yet. Manchester by the Sea, I haven't seen it that is, yet. It is December, and I can't think of anything else that... Oh, this is hands down of things I've seen. It's the best movie I've seen this year. Yeah. I, you know, there's a, there's a couple uh, holes I have. I, there's, I got, man, I got to catch up on a lot of movies here coming up, dude. Man, you know, I haven't even thought about what would be Oscar nominee. What the hell would be the Oscar nominees this year? La La Land's the real big one that everybody seems to be throwing their awards at right now. Uh, it's one with uh, it's a musical with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Oh, musical! Huh? Uh, dude, you know you he just rolled his eyes. I but, did. I did roll my eyes. But, <clears throat> dude, look look at the trailer. Look at the trailer. If it doesn't sell you on it, I'll buy you a beer. I dude, I the it. I'm just saying, musical or Arrival. I'm gonna go with Arrival. No, I, I'm I'm with you. I I yes, I agree with that. Uh, you know, but. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. May, may, it maybe it's spectacular, but that's the one that's like Ghostbusters. Up right now. Ghostbusters could get <laughs> it. Can sweep the Razzies. <laughs> Woo! That reach a point that I actually feel bad for some of the people involved with the movie. If I was in charge of the Oscars, yeah, so far I would give Arrival Best Picture. Yeah, I would definitely throw it uh, some nominations. But I screenplay for sure. I haven't seen. Honestly, I haven't well, most seen of the stuff's not out yet, man. You know, you know of... I haven't seen hardly anything that I would. A Moonlight's not even playing here. Um, Scorsese's got something coming out. Silence, it? yeah, that's well, that doesn't come out. I don't think till Christmas, and that's going to be one of those that'll play like a week. Yeah, we dude, we're not going to get it till next year. I already wrote it off. Um, I can I can wait a week or two. I think. 
They'll squeeze that in like a week in L.A. and New York just so they can go for the Oscar. Yeah. I, I, I want to see that. I saw the trailer for it, man. It looks looks pretty Sully, awesome. Sully came out this year. That Spider-Man and Kylo Ren going to go teach some uh, some Japanese people about religion. When's, um, when's Nolan's war movie coming out? Not till next year sometime. Summer or holiday season. Really? Uh, Even I thought they already put a teaser out for it. Yeah, but I mean, it's a Nolan teaser. That's like... There's like an army truck, and it's like... <laughs> you know how his teasers are? You remember that weird-ass teaser for Interstellar? Yes. It was just like a couple of shots. It was like well, it McConaughey, he, it, like, It wasn't about... even like shots from the movie. It was like a truck, and then like... No, that was tr- McConaughey's truck going through the cornfield. But then it was like a regular rocket ship. It was yeah. Like, that's like old footage from like 1960. What oh, he... well, well, no, dude, the... The first uh, Dark Knight, where it was just like a couple of audio clips from Heath Ledger's Joker, and then the bat symbol like br- coming on screen and breaking apart. What was that, <laughs> dude? That was that was an audio spot with some animation on it. <laughs> I still think I know this is cheesy as shit. Favorite teaser trailer of all time for me has to be Superman Returns. Uh, I don't remember that one. It's got the Marlon Brando voiceover. Superman's up in space, and you kind of float around him, and it comes all the way around with the Marlon Brando voiceover, and then oh. it lands on his face, and he shoots down into the. I do remember that. And you're just like, oh, this is gonna be great. I watched that recently. Your opinions uh, lowering over time. Yeah, man. Really? I just uh, I I haven't I haven't seen it. In a I remember years. leaving the theater being all like. You know, I don't see why people hate this. I think it's really good. Outside of Super Kid, I don't remember having a problem with it. Yeah, I was like, you know, I don't like Super Kid, and Roth is a little young, but he'll grow into Superman. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, we watched... What movie you know? We're doing, a, we're doing trilogy series, and we watched Superman 1, Superman 2, and then Superman Returns, and... Yeah, it just didn't hold up, man. Like, I totally mm. feel the... This is pretty lackluster. Yeah, that's a shame. You know, singers like that, man. Brian Singer's very hit or miss, man. But, dude, when he's on... Oh, well, the man, action on, looks bro. good. The story makes sense inside of that trilogy. Where it's missing is... Emotionally, it's wanting to feel like Superman 1 and 2... But these aren't the same people, and it just sort of emotionally falls flat. Like oh, I remember Kate, that Kate, Bo- Kate, kind Kate of falls flat. Bosworth, yeah, I thought she was horribly miscast. As where Lois you're Lane. supposed to feel like kind of sorry for Superman, and he's spying on Lois. You sort of are kind of creeped out. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it's like stalking Superman. I think you know when I first saw it, I kind of like went in it with the whole feelings from Superman 1 and 2 rolling over and watching it just sort of on its own I yeah uh, uh, you know that, that, that's that's how it is sometimes sometimes the more you watch a movie the more you like it sometimes the more you watch it and we watched Man of Steel we just it. <laughs> randomly one afternoon it was on TV uh, it, it wasn't as bad as I remembered <laughs> and I mean I never been a critic of that movie but I actually kind of liked it a little bit more this time I am just disliking the DC movies more and more as time really time goes on, yeah. Just the just the ones in this in the Snyderverse 
that started after Dark Knight Rises. I'm just, I'm really just not well, digging this unit. I'm not. I just, dude, I just I don't they, like it. They're just not. The problem I have with them, if you look at Superman 1 and 2, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, those are some of the greatest superhero movies ever. These These new ones just don't reach that level. You can even put, like, you know, Burton's Batman and Batman Returns up there. Yeah, these movies don't even come close to the the Burton Batman films. Right. Yeah. They're just sort of they're no sort way. of flat superhero movies. They're missing anything that I would call charisma or heart. Some of the sequences are are spectacular. I mean, like the stories are there. Uh No, I mean like really? Yeah, I mean like watching Man of Steel the other day on TV. The idea was it's kind of a cool idea. You've got, you know, Superman and Lois is, you know, tracking him down and then he has to reveal himself and the world's not sure what he is and he has to reveal himself because this Zod's going to destroy the world and like the story makes it the story is there, but just these moments that fall flat that should be bigger moments like Superman's going to turn himself into Zod instead of like a kind of a, you know, moment where you get like some score that uplifts it. It just literally cuts to Superman flying around in the, he's like up in this field and the army's looking at him like, are are we going to kill him? There's no emotional, you know, there's no like swell moment. Need the gravitas here. Give me, give me some show here. Be a showman, man. You know, like have Superman walk down Main Street and the army's there looking, who are you? Are you? And I'm the Kryptonian and prove it. And then he just sort of flies up in the air and they're like, everybody goes, holy shit. (laughs) You know, like some magical moment. That dude can fly. Yeah, some magical moment where people are like, whoa. And you cut the little Spielberg comedy cut where you cut to like one soldier that's breaking rank going, holy shit. You know. Oh no! You, you, no, if it was a Spielberg movie, you'd cut to like the the janitor cleaning the bank, and he's on like the fifth story window, and he looks outside, and he just sees a guy standing there, and he's like, "Oh, okay." And he's like, "Hey, wait a minute!" Does the double take? <laughs> or the guy driving the van just his gum falls out of his mouth? Ah, <laughs> uh, man, I I don't know if Spielberg invented that insert, but man, I tell you what, he he owned it. It's definitely his now. They don't have those. I'm glad that there's fans for it. Um, I'm just really waiting my time for this to stop making money and <laughs> <laughs> them to reboot it again. Uh, I'm thinking, let's just not have a Batman movie for like ten years. Just say fuck it, and then which is sad because I mean, like I don't hate them. I don't hate Batman versus Superman. I don't hate Man of Steel. I actually like the way Ben Affleck looks in the bat suit. Oh no, yeah, I love how everything looks. It's just, man, I don't know, dude. Rewatching Batman, uh, Batman v Superman. I actually like the extended cut better. I know, but it's just so long. It's so yeah, much it's, plot, and it's still, it's just like, guys, just cut before Doomsday comes out. <laughs> that would really fix that movie just take the extended cut cut it before doomsday shows up done look somebody that has some time on their hands and actually gives a shit to do that please send me that i'll we'll, we'll enjoy watching it uh we'll just we'll just call it the fan edit. It, it, all right you think about like and i'm not knocking Zack snyder but i'm about to knock Zack snyder 
<laughs> you think about like the emotional hits that Arrival has, right? Sci-fi movie, aliens all over the planet, moving toward international war possibly, but these emotional hits make the movie. And then you go back to like Man of Steel and just the emotional moments that just fall so flat. Like the moments that you he's trying to put in his emotional moments are the scenes people talk about you should just cut that shit out. <laughs> like these movies are so plot laden. The stories don't ever really have a chance to f- flow and feel natural and emotional. Yeah. And there's just so many characters, man. You know, it's like you you have two, two and a half hours. How many characters are you going to get to in that time span? Yeah, I'll be honest with you, though. If Justice League is not good and the, and the Batman movie's not good, I'm done. I just, I'm not going to be able to sit through any more of these in the theater. I man, I I'm like the one person I know of that did not get excited about the Justice League trailer. I don't like it. It could have been better. I'll give you I, that. I have a problem with it. Like to me it it looks like okay, they got extremely worried that Batman versus Superman was too dark. Yeah. So, okay, well we're gonna make this more like the Avengers. Let's just make Bruce Wayne Tony Stark. Do a little course correction. And Bruce Wayne, Batman's not Iron Man. No, see, dude, look, he's going to go around and assemble the Avengers. I mean, the Justice League. Right. (laughs) And he's going to crack jokes. and Dude, everybody wants to be Marvel. They want all that money. Well, yeah. But be DC and get the money. Well, see, that's a problem, though. Like, they want to be Marvel, but they didn't put the work that Marvel put into it. You know? I mean, like... All right. Marvel, like, set the groundwork built all these movies up, set a universe, and then took in a gamble with Avengers. And it paid off. This is just... Who knows? Maybe Wonder Woman will come out and be awesome. I'm not too excited about the trailers, but... Yeah, me either. But we got I mean, you know, I thought, I thought they were in with, a, with an interesting plan when, you know, they put out Man of Steel, and then they were going to do Batman versus Superman. It's like, okay, this could be, this could be an interesting way of introducing this universe. You introduce these two guys first. But they just went way too far in that movie. Like, they introduced fucking everybody. And whoever approved that fucking Batman v Superman title, they need to be fired stat. Who the fuck? Oh my god, worst title ever for a movie that cost over $200 million. I mean, you can just see the desperation in the title. (laughs) I know, we've talked about this. Batman versus Superman. And then we're going to tack on Dawn of Justice. Which, have you ever heard of anyone refer to the movie as Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice? Dude, nobody is ever going to listen to our opinions. I just realized that we're sitting here talking crap about the DC stuff. And at the beginning of the podcast, we're talking about Transformers 5. We're like, hey, you know, that doesn't look that bad. That looks good. No, 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 no. I'll defend this. (laughs) I'll defend this. Let the emails pour in now. Oh, I'll email me about it. I'll defend it. <laughs> and it goes back to a statement we made earlier. Michael Bay does not pretend to be making anything other than a bunch of shits blowing up action movie. This DC universe, he's trying to do, and I'm I give him credit. Like I like, I don't hate the movies. 
They're just not special. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but they're just not. Like, go back and listen to our podcast. I was the one saying I like Batman versus Superman. I like Man of Steel. I, like, you, I liked Batman. I think I gave that uh, decent marks when we did that podcast. Yeah, we both did. Yeah. But if you take Batman versus Superman and compare it to Tim Burton's Batman, Batman Be- Returns, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, Superman 1, Superman 2, it doesn't hold up. Yeah, you can go see a Transformers movie, you come out, except for Transformers 2, which you'll literally leave with a headache. You go see, you know, Transformers 3, Transformers 1. Sure, it doesn't make any sense, but it's never really trying to. And some robots fight. That's, yeah, that's all they're trying to do. I like that, you know? I'll be interested to see uh, what our listeners think. Uh, <laughs> there's like, some, guys, you know, there's come some on. score, and there's some good guys fighting. The good guys are going to fight the bad guys. And you tell me who the bad guy is in Batman versus Superman. It's like Lex, Lex Luth- Luthor, Lex Luthor, or or Batman, but sometimes it's not Batman, and then it's Doomsday, and everybody's in a bad mood. <sighs> Lois is in the bathtub, which is awesome. Hey, look, Amy Adams connection. That's totally why we're talking about this on the Arrival podcast. By the way, when, while you're editing, this, notice the like three times I've tried to bring us back to the Arrival. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you know, hey. Ah, these these are some good conversation points that we had. Uh, you know, I guess the only other thing going back to Arrival, since we are we're going back there, I saw some complaints about the film, the monologue that Jeremy Renner has. Well, not the the his little montage where he does his VO. Like they, they skip a lot of time, right? Explaining how they communicate and understand the symbols with the aliens. I saw some people complaining about that. Like, oh wait, I wanted to see. I, I don't know. I guess that they felt that. They were missing that part of the film. Like they wanted to actually see that part and were finding that fascinating. I understand that. Like w- While you're watching it, be all heptopod B here. Uh, present tense, I understand why, why you get that. But after you, after you see the film and you know what the movie's, the emotional through line really is of the film and what the theme really is, why would you care? Well, I think that goes to something I was going to bring up that couple of people I know that went and saw it that don't like it. It's one of those situations where they didn't get what they wanted. I can see that. And if you go into the movie and you're expecting... Independence Day. <laughs> Independence Day, then, yeah, you're going to leave me. This movie was boring. It's about language and feelings and... <laughs> and emotions. I love, I love how you said that with such disdain. Are you feeling feelings right now? <laughs> Damn well, it! <laughs> and if you know, if you go in and you think it's going to be this, like you know, scientific breakdown of how to communicate with these aliens, and then yeah. you have this montage that skips over all that shit, you're like, "Well, that's what I'm here for, assholes." I can see both points, um... and I'm not saying either points are wrong. I mean, that's you know, that's what you, ex- it's how you expect to see the movie. It's just one. It's such a good movie yeah. that. I think you should give it a chance. If, you, if you've if you gone to see it and you didn't like it for one of those reasons, not to say those are bad reasons, I mean, those are your own reasons, I've done it. Go see it again with the idea of what the movie is, because it's actually really good. Yeah, I would strongly recommend seeing it a second time, just because... It's, I've seen it twice. Yeah, it's really cool seeing Amy Adams' face, like, right before those flashbacks, and getting the realization, like, oh... 
She is confused. She does not know what she's experiencing. Or even like hearing like pieces of dialogue that mean one thing the first time you see it, and then when you see it again, you're like, "Oh, that's connecting to this. Oh, the pe- the puzzle's coming together. I'm living outside of time now." <laughs> the non-zero uh, sum game. That was I like. I like that one. That was a good callback. Even even the opening line. This is where your I used to think your story begins. Yeah. And, you know, back to, you know, you, you go expecting, go to a movie, I'm very guilty of that at some points. Like, I've gone to, I don't remember exactly what movie, but, and I did. Yeah. And then you watch it, like, you know, you have this hatred for that movie for, like, five years or whatever, a year, and then it comes out on Blu-ray, and your buddy's like, oh, no, dude, you should watch it, and you watch it, and you're going, oh, wow, this is really good. Yeah, I'm trying to think, there was one horror movie that I, I did that to. Like the the trailer made it out like it was gonna be this this kind of movie, and then it was a completely different kind of horror movie. And I left the movie like hating it. And I watched it a couple of years later, and was like, "What was I missing? Like this is awesome." Oh, dude, I I, I do that to movies all the time. I can't remember what it is now, but hey, I think this movie, I think Arrival's suffering from that a little bit. I think word of mouth on it's pretty good. I think the box office is staying pretty steady, but yeah, no, it is. Yeah, um, it's already made like uh, over a hundred million worldwide. Yeah, I saw that it didn't drop as much as it was expected to. Yeah, no, it, it's man, it's it's staying uh, seventy three million United States already. But I know I talked to a couple of people at you know at work or whatever, and they had their complaints, and it was all revolving around what I think you know, I think they went in expecting Independence Day. And got contact. <laughs> yeah, I I can see that, but I I don't know. I just always like the I like smart sci fi because we don't get it that often. I like movies like Contact and Two Thousand One and Blade Runner. And right. I I don't know. Those are the sci fi films that I want to. I usually gravitate to. You know. Well, I think people are also kind of set up now. When you see a trailer and you see Army and yeah, heli- that they're you're gonna yeah. fight the aliens and. I, I didn't get that from the trailer, but I can see how people would get it. Yeah, you're 100% right about that, I think. I can um, definitely see people getting that. No, it's, I mean, I it to me, it's it's one of my favorite. It's my favorite kind of sci-fi, the kind of sci-fi that kind of creates that wonder of if this was really happening, makes you think about both science and humanity at the same time. Just please, if if you haven't seen the movie, please go see it. Uh, you know, if you listened this far and you didn't go see it, shame on you. Listening to us explain it <laughs> instead of experiencing it would be terrible. Matter of fact, if you've listened this far and made it through the random rant about DC Comics, <laughs> <laughs> Amy Adams, dude, it's it's all tied in, bro. Amy Adams is the center of the universe. I like Amy. Jackie Ad- Brown. That Jackie was a Brown? movie. That was a movie that I went to see in a theater, and I could. I just hated it. What? I hated it. Like, like, because it wasn't Pulp Fiction. It was better than Pulp Fiction. I know. And then I watched it on a DVD later, and I'm like, wait, this is better than Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And like, till this day, this is my. That is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh yeah, dude, hands down. I am. We're we're all. We've always been in total agreement on that one. But when I first saw it, it was that whole "I want Pulp Fiction." That's not Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about this movie other than please go see it. It's a I do I do have one question treat. to ask you. Oh sure. Um, when she first goes into the spaceship, 
and she comes out and she's all shaky. Oh, that was so great. Why do you think she's so shaky and because she's she's seeing a new life form for the first time and I mean, holy shit. Even if you're not a scientist, this has got to be every person's like crazy dream to see a species from a different planet. Cuz the first time you see it, it it almost feels like, you know, she's she's an emotional wreck from like lost their daughter and now she's doing this. It's just too much yeah. to take, but well, no, because Jer- Jeremy Renner does the same. He pukes. He vomits. But you almost don't pay attention to him because he, she's the main yeah. focus. And it wasn't until seeing it a second time that I noticed that he's doing the same thing. Yeah, and they, they also have that one guy they're stretching out. I love the look <laughs> on her face when she's in her office and Forrest Whitaker comes in. He plays that tape and goes, what do you make of that? And she's just looking at him like, What? <laughs> You expect me to translate that? I'm why it's great because immediately her questions. She's like, uh, "How how many are talking?" Right, and she, she starts going through all those questions. I was like, "How can you even think about that?" I would like replay that again. That's what aliens sound like. <laughs> yeah, it was good seeing Forrest Whitaker back, and you know, I usually don't really like Jeremy Renner. I kind of. I liked him in this. I loved him in this, man. I was really surprised. The first time I did not want to strangle him in a movie. Yeah, I thought he played the goofy scientist guy pretty good. Yeah. He wasn't like obnoxious scientist guy. He was like nice yeah. guy, nerdy scientist guy. Any closing thoughts there, Benson? I do have a closing thought. We shot Girl in Woods out in Smoky Mountains. Oh, and wanted to send thoughts and prayers out to everybody out there that just lost houses and property and loved ones. If you can donate to you know any charitable, help these people out. That was a pretty bad situation. I know some people that lost family members and didn't get as much news coverage as it should have, but that's pretty bad out there. Most of the news coverage I saw is, is Dollywood okay? Yeah, who gives a fuck about Dollywood when all those people's homes are I mean, burning down? I think there's like 14 people confirmed dead now. Oh, are you, really? Yeah, and some of them didn't even have a chance of getting out of the house. Uh, a lot of them are staying over at Brandon's hotel. Uh, there's some people there. They I've talked to some people out there uh, while we were shooting. We made some good friends. They said that you know they they do not need water they need there's people needs clothes they need food so uh red cross is helping them out a lot so donate to red cross all right well we'll, we'll see if we can uh, uh find a link on, on their website and we'll uh, we'll put that in the show notes for you guys and that's going to do it for us tonight. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew. Crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E, extra E at the end of crew, at gmail.com. You guys can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at moviecrewpod. Uh, guys, go leave us a rating, reviews, Facebook, Stitcher. We appreciate it. helps people find out about the show. Also, uh, Benson was talking about Girl in Woods earlier. Our film, Girl in Woods, is out on iTunes, VOD, wherever you get it. Watch it. We would appreciate it. Benson, where can people follow you, sir? At J. Edward Benson on Twitter. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're going we're gonna to do a little two-punch here. We're going to... S- because, I mean, the, the soundtrack's really good. We're going to close out. The first track we're going to play is track one from the Arrival soundtrack titled Arrival by Mr. Johan Johansson. We're also going to play the um, 
music that goes over the beginning and ending montage in the film that was done uh, by a different composer, Max Richter. And the title of that track is On the Nature of Daylight. Enjoy, guys. Enjoy, guys. 